0: This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse.
1: This week we focus on El Salvador as we visit with that country's ambassador to the U.S. on a wide range of topics, including immigration, gangs, and other security issues. But first... Megan Eckhamel is here with our weekly review of news from around Latin America.
2: Mexico condemns the United States as new spying information comes to light. German magazine Der Spiegel published more information from documents from National Security Agency whistleblower Edward Snowden this week. Mexico's Interior Minister Miguel Osorio, delivers a statement from Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto.
0: The President of the Republic has ordered an investigation that will determine if there is evidence or not. It will also have to determine the likelihood that Mexican citizens or public officials at that moment participated in these activities. The
2: NSA Division named Tailored Access Operations, attained former Mexican President Felipe Calderon's email. Also, the NSA may have spied on Calderon's cabinet members. Brazil awarded lucrative offshore oil contracts this week to a consortium of oil firms headed by the Brazilian oil monopoly Petrobras. However, protesters and striking workers went to the streets to demonstrate against the deal, Thousands of troops and security forces repelled the protesters with tear gas and rubber bullets. Doctors in Argentina say Agent Orange and other herbicides are poisoning the country. Workers handling the pesticides do not use protective gear and are not properly trained. Doctors say they are seeing more health problems among the people working with the chemicals. Crop dusters are spraying the poisonous chemicals too close to residences. The crops are supposed to be planted 500 meters from residences, but at times they are planted much closer. Monsanto, the company that makes Agent Orange, denies there are problems with the use of its product in Argentina. For Latin Pulse, I'm Megan Eckhamel.
1: Thanks, Megan. Recently, El Salvador's top diplomat in the United States, Ambassador Ruben Zamora, visited our studios for a conversation on a variety of topics. With millions of Salvadorans residing both legally and illegally in the United States, comprehensive immigration reform topped the agenda. We'll devote most of the rest of the program to our discussion with Ambassador Zamora. Here are the pre-recorded excerpts.
3: Well, you know, at the beginning we were very helpful that uh, at last um, comprehensive immigration reform was going to pass or considered by the Congress in the United States. The proposal of the Senate is a comprehensive one, is something that we could work with, and is, a, I will say, a fun, an important benefit for our immigration uh, in people in the United States. Now we know that there are some troubles in the lo- lower house, in the House of Representatives, and on top of all the other problems that has come later on, shutdown, the ceiling debit, and so on, the whole thing seems to be put a, a little bit aside. The immigration setup in the United States is broken already, and is very costly. Besides that, but secondly, the fact that there is a, a somewhere around eleven million immigrants that has no papers in the United States, and this is bad for the United States and for them as well, and. There is going to be one way to try to solve all those problems. We are still hopeful that at the end of next year, we are going to have a much better situation, more clearly legally, more human in terms of the immigration to many, so many countries to the United States.
1: I realize that. A large percentage of the Salvadoran population is either here in the United States or travels between El Salvador and the United States. I've heard totals as high as 20 percent of the Salvadoran population at one time or another is involved with commerce and immigration to the United States. So this is a delicate issue between the two countries. Are there some specifics that, that you would like to see addressed in this comprehensive reform?
3: Yes, you are right. I mean, our appreciation of this situation is that uh, more than 20% of our population is in the United States. Probably two millions out of 6 million in El Salvador and 2 more millions of Salvadorians are here, either in a legal way or without any papers or legal papers. That is, but in in this sense, for instance, one basic concern that we have is that more than 200,000 Salvadorians now have a specific condition that is called TPS. They have been having that for more than 12 years by now, paying their taxes, getting employment, and a legal solution, a permanent solution of their status. Is something that I think is absolutely needed for for their for their well-being and as well for the a much better way to develop employment and opportunities of employment here in the United States.
1: The Miami Herald has given you great credit, and one of the areas that they cited was that El Salvador had really improved their area of corruption in the past several years. But yet there has been this exchange with Senator Leahy about whether there has been enough improvement in corruption. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what improvements there have been and and how you can respond to Senator Leahy's of Vermont, of his criticisms?
3: Well, you know that we have been in very close contact with the office of Senator Leahy and discussing all those matters and putting forward our position that is basically to say, look first. The government has been trying to deal with the problem of corruption that is a you know, secular problem in El Salvador, as in many other countries, trying to go into the, giving the society the tools that will allow the society to fight more clearly corruption. I mean, we are trying to do, but you know that you cannot get rid of that in one year or two. We hope that if we continue in that way, Let's say in four or five years, the population will see clearly the difference between a society that has been practicing corruption for decades and a society that corruption is the exceptions, but not the norm. And this is our goal.
1: Let me ask about a different area regarding corruption. We have seen several activists here in Washington, D.C. within the past month Starting to talk about the election season, and I know that this is a delicate area because this is political, and you have limitations on what you can talk about in that regard, but there is great concern sometimes in El Salvador when we talk about a fair and even playing field for Mm -hmm. the different parties, Um, especially in the media zone that tends to be extremely conservative in El Salvador. You represent a government which is a center-left government, and the FMLN is running a candidate in these elections. Three candidates are, are really the strongest in the coming elections next year. Do you feel that corruption is a concern in the elections? Do you feel that that there is an even playing field for candidates of the FMLN? Well,
3: I think that to, to talk about um, level playing field for all the candidates is not true. And I will say that growing in the world, Money is becoming the most important elector in any country. If you have money, you have access to the media. If you have access to the media, you clearly are tilling the field toward one side against the other. And this is a concern that we have, for instance. But anyway, the fight between civil society and even the government in favor of a political party at least it's moving and now there is a law in congress that is being discussed about that we still are away from what is the other part of the law that will be a law about money in the political campaign about disclosure where the money is coming that in a country like el salvador is extremely important because the presence of international crime in the country and this is a very that a weakness of our democracy that we are trying to fight mm? you know that, that the, the danger that has happened in other countries of Latin America that uh, drug cartels mm? have been introduced into the, the political power through the question of money, giving money to candidates.
1: Ambassador Ruben Zamora our guest today on Latin Pulse we're going to take a quick break and we will go back to the issue of transnational crime when we come back Stay with us. This planet we call Earth.
0: Abundant with new food, new cures, new life. An amazing place. Please don't let it vanish without a trace. Call for your free World Wildlife Fund action kit with ten simple things you can do to help leave our children a living planet. Call -CALL 1-800-CALL-WWF. Ruben
1: Zamora, the ambassador from El Salvador to the United States, our guest today on Latin Pulse, and we are focusing solely on Salvadoran issues. Before the break, we talked a little bit about transnational crime. Recently, one of the cartels, the Zetas, had a huge stash of arms found in the country. This speaks to some of the insecurity issues in the country, not just cartels, but also street gangs. Um, What is being done in El Salvador to combat these problems
3: well you know that maybe one of the one of the three most important problems that the, my, my society is facing now is security because what we have is a problem that is being going on for more than 20 years by now and is the gangs the gangs came from the United States you know, young people that came as immigrants here, were captured by the police, and immediately deported to El Salvador. And then when they bu- went back, started to develop what we call the Maras, that means gangs, local gangs. At the beginning, there were something like 500, around 500 people involved in that. And unfortunately, our previous government didn't pay any attention to that. Then let's say 10, 15 years after, the gangs has become, has grown enormously. Yeah, forty thousand people, fifty thousand people, and then the reaction of the government was to start to compact the, the the problem as only a criminality problem, right? What they call hard hand mano dura. It was to start to send all those people into jail, right? They the, the jails, the jails become the best school for crime because there was nothing else to do there. And they learn from the elders and so on. And no matter the hard hand that the government apply and the super hard hand that the following government apply, the number was growing and growing and has become one of the central problem. When our government now started at the in 2009, we saw that combating the, the, the gangs only through mm, police measures mm, was not going to work. Yeah. The number of gangs probably now goes around 60 to 80,000 people in a small country. Remember that, the, for instance, Rio de Janeiro the, in Brazil, that is known by the gangs has exactly the same population as El Salvador, 6 million and something people. But Rio has only 20,000. And we have three or four more times uh, gangs in El Salvador. It's a very serious problem. And then the approach of the government has been to say, look, we have to continue with the policy of trying to capture and put in jail the people who commit crimes. Yeah, But at the same time, we have to introduce two new policies. A policy that will prevent more young people to become part of the gangs in Guahan, but on the other hand, the policy of trying to rescue the people that are now in gangs to become part of the whole of society. Especially taking into account something that is very typical of El Salvador, or for our situation, that in the end the the maras or the gangs are people robbing, uh, poor robbing the peop- the poor, yeah. That's why the previous government didn't pay any attention to them because they would don't feel threatened until they become too many, right? And that's why then we have to have a, this policy that now has been started to implement in, with a policy that is called municipalities free of violence in which the local authority with the local civil society of the town make an agreement how they are going to face the problem and then they call on the local leaders of the Maharas and say okay what do you need to get out of your life and usually they ask for employment a little bit of money to set up a business and training Learn to do something because they don't know to do anything that it will be productive, and with that then the whole process starts to move them into society It's difficult it's going to take time it's something that we are doing without not so many examples of how you do that, right, but it seems to us that it is the only alternative.
1: Well, So these gangs that we're talking about, for those who don't track El Salvador, MS-13 and Barrio Siocho, two of the most dangerous street crime um, organizations in the world, many people have have noted. And and so um, one of the signatures of this administration, the Funes administration, has been this truce that has been brokered through the Catholic Church in El Salvador, lasting at least for the past 18 months or so, um, there has been some concerns that that truce won't last past the Funes administration. And mm-hmm. so, can we talk a little bit about the truce and what it yeah. means?
3: Well, you know, as you say, the the Catholic Church, a bishop, and other people were involved in trying to arrange a truce between the two main gangs that uh, will be somewhere around 90 percent of the people involved in that activity, right? And they were able to do so. Well, of course, visiting the jail, talking to the leaders, because the leaders were in jails and trying to arrange. The role of the government was not to go into negotiation with them, because for the government, it's almost impossible to negotiate with the gangs. Because the first thing that the gangs are going to ask the, if the government is sitting in the negotiation, okay, Let's do a truce seriously, you don't touch us, right? And this is something that the government cannot do, right? That's why the the gangs arranged the truce between them. The role of the government was to facilitate once they were willing to stop killing each other because that was a a characteristic. Many of the the homicides in El Salvador were made in fighting between the gangs among themselves. Right, And then the government started to help facilitating the process of the truth. How? Moving the leaders of the truth that are in a prison of maximum security with a lot of limitation into a prison that will allow them a certain level of communication with its own people in order to put uh, the, the truth in, in practice. And that's what happened, you know. And we have been able in El Salvador to get around, the reduction of homicides is around 50%. That is a lot, you know. It's thousands of people that have not been killed in the last 18 months. Uh, the other thing was that we saw that the truce, very difficult was going to be to keep it. Mm? I personally saw that no more than six months. Mm? It was not going to last but it had been lasting for now one and a half year, well, a little bit more. And in that sense, what the truth allow the government is the opportunity to introduce the other two policies, rescue and prevention. Why? Because if they're killing each other, you cannot say to the people, okay, you lay down your arm and come here with me. And the person will, the gun member will be killed mm, in that situation. But but if there is a truce, there is this possibility to start to work with them. And the government has put some money because practically nobody else is helping us with that.
1: Earlier in this program, you talked about the anti-corruption methods being used against the cartels in El Salvador. So um, returning to the issue of the Zetas cartel and other cartels that are using El Salvador as a transshipment point for drugs, what can you tell us about that security situation, which is different than the street gangs and the modus?
3: Yes. Well, this is the other central problem that we have, that is the question of the presence of international crime. In terms of drugs, something that we have to, to to have into account is that Central America has been and still is the area for trans, transporting the drug from South America to the United States that is basically the role of the cent- the Central Amer- in the Central American countries. most of the drugs is moved from South America through the Atlantic to the coast of Nicaragua and Honduras then through Guatemala Mexico and the United States El Salvador is a secondary route for the drug but even then is an important one and a very serious for us why because the drug cartels, the Mexicans that now are the dominant drug cartels in the whole area, those cartels, not for the transport of the drug, not only don't pay you completely in dollars in money, but they pay you in dollars and in drugs. Therefore, they are creating the internal market for the drug. El Salvador has not a serious problem of drug addictions inside the country but if this policy continues and we are not able to combat it yeah, then we are going to get into these vicious circles of drugs that call for more drugs and so on because part of the population become addict. In that sense, the two or three weeks ago the the police hit the most important uh, crime organization, local crime organization, that was doing the job of transferring the drug from South America through El Salvador via Guatemala, Mexico, and the United States.
1: And if you could help us with the name of that organization? The the
3: Texas Cartel was called in El Salvador because it was centered around the Texas Tepeque city, And that's what these people know it as Texas Cartel. And it clearly is very, very well connected with the Guatemalan uh, cartels operating there as well.
1: Mr. Ambassador, if I may, we've been talking a lot about the post-Civil War security situation in your country. I wonder if we could actually talk about issues regarding the Civil War and human rights. Uh, Recently, um, Colonel Inocente Montaño, Who has been accused by the Spanish government of being involved with the massacre of Jesuits during your Civil War um, has been detained and put in prison in the United States on immigration charges, and where he'll stay for the next 21 months or so. I'm wondering is there a changing tableau now in El Salvador to deal with these human rights issues from the Civil War? There was an amnesty given, or at least um, a sense that. Many people would not be prosecuted. Is that changing?
3: Well, you know that this question of the amnesty is a very controversial and delicate question. Why? First, because with the peace agreement, what was accepted and agreed upon and passed as a law was an amnesty law that was partial amnesty not all the crime. And specifically, the law say that all the, the individuals pointed out by the Truth Commission, mm, have, having serious crimes committed by them and so on, were outside the amnesty. Unfortunately, the government at that time of President Cristiani, under a big pressure of the military, at the last moment, they changed the law and gave a blank amnesty. That many people in El Salvador, lawyers and so on, consider that is an unconstitutional un- law against the constitution because it's a total amnesty. Hmm? And El Salvador has signed treaties hmm? not granting impunity for crimen- crimes against humanity. Right. Then, right now, the situation is that the, the, the Constitutional Court of El Salvador is uh, looking into the constitutionality of the blank amnesty decreed by the government in 1982 right and he is he is is going to to give us uh, a ruling about that and we are waiting for that ruling because they are the only one who could declare unconstitutional
1: the the law thank you so much ambassador ruben Zamora the ambassador of El Salvador to the United States, our guest today on Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you very much. It's been a, ple- a pleasure to be here in Latin Pulse. And I want to say hello to all the Salvadorians who are here in this program that I know quite a lot of them and other people that from the United States and other countries and uh, tell them that El Salvador is a beautiful country that is trying to overcome their, its internal problems. And we are confident that we are going to achieve that.
1: Thank you so much, Mr. Ambassador.
0: And now, Latin American Perspectives with Peter Hakam of the Inter-American Dialogue. Polling results from
4: Consulta Mitovsky suggest that Latin America's most popular presidents are those with strong anti-United States views. While U.S. allies are among the region's least popular presidents, it is true that such U.S. antagonists as the presidents of Ecuador, Nicaragua, and Bolivia top the charts, and U.S. partners from Colombia, Chile, and Costa Rica are near the bottom. The obvious question is whether anti-Americanism is now good politics in Latin America. The data, however, doesn't support that conclusion. U.S. opponents govern in only three of seven countries where presidents enjoy public support of more than 50%. That is, in Ecuador, Bolivia, and Nicaragua. And Nicaragua is by no means a consistent adversary. Three popular governments in the Dominican Republic, Panama, and Mexico, are strong U.S. allies. El Salvador, despite a left-leaning government, maintains cordial relations with the U.S. and is a large recipient of aid. Washington's most virulent opponent, President Maduro of Venezuela, holds a mid-level ranking of 48%. Only two other presidents in Uruguay and Guatemala have support in the 40 to 50% range. Both have strong, amiable relations with the United States. There are six first-term presidents in Chile, Colombia, Honduras, Peru, Costa Rica, and Brazil, whose public support is below 40%. They all enjoy largely friendly relationships with the United States, but there is no single explanation for their political difficulties. They reflect complex national situations and strikingly disparate talent and preparation for leadership. Two of them are eligible to run for another term, Colombia's Juan Manuel Santos and Brazil's Dilma Rousseff, who are both considered frontrunners in good measure because of weak opposition candidates and the power of incumbency the popular anti-American presidents of Ecuador, Bolivia, and Nicaragua have all governed for six years or more. In part, their public support reflects political skills and real achievement, improved public services, solid economic growth, and more attention than ever to social development. But it also reflects a feeble opposition, which has been debilitated by restrictions on press freedom, misuse of judicial and police power, and electoral manipulation.
1: Peter Hakem's opinions are his own and not the official point of view of this program. If you'd like to respond to his commentary or any portion of this program, you may write us. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. You can also find us on SoundCloud and leave us a message there. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's .org forward slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, associate producer Megan Eckhamel, and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchanos otra vez. Gracias por su tiempo.
0: Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University's School of Communication and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bathtime Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2013, Las Rocas Productions.